With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 292 of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is sponsored by the Red Flag Group. The Red Flag Group is a business advisory, information services, and technology firm that helps corporations, financial institutions, government, and SMEs to manage their integrity and compliance in their businesses and their third parties. You can get more information on the Red Flag Group by checking out their website, www.redflaggroup.com. Today, I'm joined by Red Flag Group Product Manager of Supply Chain Solutions, Jared Connors, and we take a deep dive into the federal acquisition regulations, FARs, and defense federal acquisition regulations, DFARs, in the compliance context. We look at what is an FAR. We look at the differences between FARs and DFARs. We talk about, we talk about the types of companies that should be concerned by these uh, regulations. We discuss some of the covered areas of these regulations. We then turn to the reporting requirements and what sort of resources are available to help demonstrate compliance. The episode comes in at uh, just over 21 minutes. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Ambassador for the Red Flag Group, back with another podcast in our series, Between the Flags. Today, I'm joined by Product Manager of Supply Chain Solutions, Jared Connors, where we take a look at FARs and DFARs. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'm back with my colleague, Jared Connors. Jared is the product manager for Supply Chain Solutions with the Red Flag Group. I'm the compliance ambassador for the Red Flag Group. And today, I wanted to visit with Jared about the requirements companies have, but they may not know that they have, around two areas. The first are federal acquisition regulations, or FARs. And the second is defense federal regulations, excuse me, federal acquisition regulations or DFARs. So, Jared, with that introduction, uh, welcome. Thank you, Tom. Look forward to chatting about this today. So, Jared, um, many people uh, in in private companies don't understand that they may have agreed to a contractual requirement that requires them to comply with what we're going to call FARs. So maybe we could start with you explaining what is a FAR. Sure. Well, um, the Federal Acquisitions Regulation is um, um, a U.S. federal government um, requirement uh, that essentially says that you're that we're trying to provide, the government is trying to provide uniform policies and procedures for any acquisition of goods supplied to the federal government. And among the guiding principles, it has to be 
an acquisition system that satisfies customers' needs in terms of cost and quality and timeliness. Um, but this also has um, quite a bit of direct um, acquisition requirements in terms of verification of sourcing um, to everything from a background check on individuals um, and uh, suppliers. So let me ask you about some uh, some other re- general requirements under these FARs. Does it inc- uh, include such things as conducting business with integrity and fairness and openness? Do FARs often uh, require companies to fulfill other pub- public policy objectives? Yeah, this is a really interesting regulation because, uh, as you mentioned when you introduced the topic, some companies don't necessarily or may not necessarily know that they're actually in a contractual obligation to comply with this. And that's exactly what this is about is doing business with integrity and ensuring that you're meeting the requirements of this regulation in terms of verification of sourcing um, or sourcing practices. And uh, one of the more popular or commonly known um, elements of the FARs is the um, human trafficking piece. And uh, there's a lot of focus on that right now, but that's actually just one very small element of the FARs and DFARs requirements. Um, the FARs and DFARs goes everything, everywhere from um, doing business with integrity in terms of ensuring that you're not working with somebody who's on a department or a suspension list, um, all the way down to the sourcing of uh, rare earth metals and ensuring that you got that from a federal uh, repository. So, Jared, you mentioned uh, that um, the human traffic human trafficking component, and you said that was one small part of it. Uh, I've seen figures which suggest that there are over 1,800 pages of FARs, and it's really a substantial and complex set of rules governing the procurement of all goods and services required by the United States government. Um, so it's it's really a huge requirement, but uh, can you explain uh, when the federal government or a federal government agency issues a contract, how the FAR comes into play? Sure. Yeah. So essentially what it means is that anytime you are a direct contractor to the U.S. government, either through a defense contract um, or um, to any other uh, uh, materials procured by the U.S. government, um, you actually have to go through a process to um, demonstrate that you're in compliance with these uh, requirements once awarded. And yes, the DFARS is, or excuse me, the FARS is over 1,800 pages, and the DFARS is a, I, I don't know how many pages it is, but it's quite a few pages, and it's a, um, a supplement. Um, it's actually one of the best examples of an agency supplement to the FARS. Um, there are actually other supplements as well, but they're trying to limit those number of supplements by being so detailed in the Federal Acquisitions Regulation at, at over 1,800 pages, as you pointed out. Um, but when you really break this down to what you're required to, to gather on and uh, from um, your suppliers um, to help demonstrate compliance to the um, acquisitions portion of that, um, it's actually quite simple. There are a total of, what did we identify, 48 independent um, elements that you need to validate or collect information on within the federal acquisitions and DFARS regulations combined. So let's say you're a defense contractor. Um, you're essentially you're you're 
therefore uh, required to comply with both of these regulations, the supplement and the regular cars. And there's these 48 independent verifications or data collection exercises to go and do with your suppliers. And that's just one tiny element of your overall supply chain risk review process. So this is um, an example of where companies may not necessarily know that they're required to comply with this regulation because they don't, because uh, they might not have researched the, the requirements of data collection and verification from their suppliers or uh, to do with their government contract, or they're actually the supplier to the contract or the government, and the government uh, contractor might be asking them some of these questions in piecemeal, um, and they might not understand that this is uh, a part of a broader scope to verify these materials, because if you're a supplier to the government supplier, for example, Tier 2 in this case, um, you may be only asked uh, a few of those 48 independent workflows for uh, data collection and verification um, because you may not, for example, have uh, relevance to um, furnishing uh, rare earth metals, for example. Um, and somebody may be doing a debarment or suspension review on you as a supplier, um, which, of course, you don't have to take part in because they're, they're looking at you through watch lists and uh, sanctions lists. And so these are all examples of independent workflows that can easily be incorporated into your overall um, supply chain risk review process. So before we get uh, further on, I want to explore what Tier 2 means uh, and some other implications. Could you uh, tell us the difference between a FAR and what we've called a DFAR? Sure. So so basically the, the Federal Acquisitions Regulations um, is applicable to anyone supplying to the U.S. government and procuring goods on behalf of the U.S. government or supplying service. And the DFARS um, is a supplement to the federal acquisitions, to the FARS, um, that says, well, these are additional requirements or verifications that need to be conducted um, if you're a defense contractor, if you're supplying to the Pentagon or you know, branch of the military or um, the Department of State. And so an example um, within this supplement, and the reason, one of the reasons why, off topic very quickly, that the Federal Acquisitions Regulation tries to limit the number of supplements that are included by other branches of the government is because some of these requirements actually overlap a little bit. And so, for example, if you look at FARs and DFARs, they both require verification of combating um, human trafficking, for example. So, again, just one tiny element of the overall requirements. So, I... I would hope, Jared, that if a company is a government contractor, they would understand that they are going to be required to follow uh, the federal acquisition uh, regulations. But um, where I have seen this come into play, I've seen it come into play in the oil patch. I've seen it come into play in construction companies. I've seen it come into play with companies who do work in chemical facilities who are not direct contractors to the government but are subcontractors to prime contractors or what you refer to as Tier 2. And those companies generally have no appreciation that they uh, could be, uh, FARs could be applied to them. Could you explain uh, how a Tier 2 would uh, come under a FAR and what it's the implications would be for, uh, you know, Tom Fox Construction Company here in Houston who is uh, renovating buildings 
to uh, helping a prime contactor who's out on a military base? How would that apply to someone like myself? Sure, yeah. So let's say, for example, that um, um, you are a Tier 2 supplier or somebody who doesn't have the direct contract with the federal government, but you're on site um, supplying a service for that construction project. A good example of that is um, um, prohibition on employing persons convicted of fraud, which is, again, one element of verification required um, within the um, DFARS um, regulation. Uh, I'm pretty sure that there's actually something very similar in, in the broader FARS regulation. And um, if you're not um, verifying this, that somebody that could be working for you uh, is prohibited to work there because they've been convicted of fraud in the past, let's say a, a, con- a construction subcontractor or a Tier 2 supplier in that case, or maybe even a Tier 3, um, you could actually face criminal penalty um, uh, up to a half a million dollars. And then uh, the contractor themselves could be suspended or debarred um, or even have the contract canceled of working with the federal government any further. Um, so a Tier 2 supplier, an example of that might be that they say, hey, I am I, – the Tier 1 says I am uh, owning this direct federal contract. Um, here's this FARS and slap 1,800 pages in front of you and say, wow, there's a lot here that I – um, need to read through just to understand what sort of verification or certification I might have to provide with um, doing business in this case. Um, and really, if you think about it, what are you actually responsible for if you break this down, as we've done, into these 48 independent workflows? Um, it's pretty easy to see in the construction example versus somebody who's, again, providing rare earths as my other example, uh, and what you'd actually have to accomplish or provide in that case um, to make sure that you're in compliance as a Tier 2 supplier and not jeopardizing the overall contract. So, Jared, my understanding is that there some of these FARs and DFARs, they're, well, they're very broad and can be a wide variety of requirements. So I'd like you to take uh, two different examples and explain to our audience the different types of concerns at risks. Risk. The first example might be, around privacy, and then I'd like to go just in a completely different direction because I think it shows just how far-reaching some of these FARs and DFARs can be. Could you talk a little bit about ozone-depleting substances and a contractor's requirement under that FAR? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm actually, as, as you're talking to me here, this just goes to show that Tom and I do this on the fly. I'm looking down for the privacy element um, so that I can actually give an example of a workflow. And sorry, I'm scrolling through this and can't find it at the moment. But an example of that for privacy is is um, that the, probably the best way to, to to verify compliance for that particular element of the regulation um, is that you'd want to verify um, a policy um, within your um, supply chain. So, for example, if I'm gathering um, materials from an organization and it requires that I share information to do with the contract, um, I have to verify um, the elements of privacy um, that are being conducted within that sharing of information. So a good example is if I'm sharing um, personal records uh, and how am I ensuring the privacy of that information. So, for example, you might want to review the supplier cybersecurity policy, their data information protection 
or if it was information to do with the contract and it was um, considered proprietary to the contract, it might be an IP infringement or, a, um, again, a data security or cybersecurity review policy. And then going over to the ozone depleting substances one, um, that's actually stating, kind of going back to um, the early days of the Clean Air Act and stating that you need to verify um, that this material um, does not cons- that contain what's considered ozone depleting substances. Um, in the case of DFARS, there is uh, an extremely rare, um, uh, essentially an exemption to that, where let's say uh, um, uh, the de- defense contract requires materials that could contain ozone depleting substances that has to have a certain level of signature very high up in the U.S. government in order for you to contain products that or have products that contain ozone depleting substances. So there's a, a very simplistic workflow of a policy review. Um, a reviewing cybersecurity, for example, and what information needs to be collected within that contract and ensuring if, the, if that particular piece of the regulation is even applicable to you versus going to ozone-depleting substances and saying, does the material or product that I'm getting from you even contain this type of substance? And I need you to reference the Clean Air Act when referring to these substances to your supplier, and then I need you to sign or certify that those materials are free of ozone-depleting substances. So in one case, it's a policy review and a grading of that uh, privacy or security process. And the next one, it's um, collecting an actual document that's uh, essentially uh, signed off by the supplier saying, I I verify that I don't contain ozone-depleting substances. So, Jared, it sounds like it's uh, in addition to what you do, or perhaps even more important is how you do it. And how you do it, of course, turns on the requirements. So how could a company or a compliance officer or a contractor get their arms around understanding what their requirements are under the FARs and DFARs? And then how do you respond to it? Is there a platform or, a, or automation or a way that you could suggest that they would consider going forward? Sure. Um, uh, a good example of that is um, we're we're now supporting a few companies that are either in direct contract or um, sub tier or tier two suppliers to um, companies that do have contracts for FARs and DFARs. And in this case, what we're doing is we're working with these companies to identify which elements of the 48 either certifications and or data collection exercises that they need to be a part of. For example, ozone-depleting substances and rare earths happens to come up, um, a couple of the reasons why I was using those examples, um, and how they're actually going about verifying that information or doing that um, background review on um, parties that have been um, debarred or suspended or made ineligible by the federal government. Um, and we have databases to accommodate that, for example, or in the other case, it's um, the data collection exercise. And if you're already going out and doing um, a risk review process with your supply chain, um, this is just one small element that can be added to your annual campaign or, or, or periodic review process in order to accommodate that. But what really needs to happen is up front, and, and of course, this is something that we're helping these companies to identify as we've comb through these massive amount of pages to identify these elements of data collection and certification and said, based on what you're doing, what are you obligated to provide out of, say, those 48 elements of of the regulation? And if you're doing a a variety of different or supplying a variety of different products, it might be 
three three elements of the regulation here today and 17 tomorrow. So it all depends on what you're doing. But if you're going back to that construction example, if you're providing a single service um, within a particular contract, it might be that you have to go through this verification once or, or actually annually um, throughout the length of the contract. Um, so it really depends on your business up front. And that's a part of that evaluation to say, what am I doing? What risks could impact my organization? Um, and as I we've talked about in previous podcasts, um, that's all part of that identification step to say, what are the risks that I'm faced with from my supply chain today? Um, and in this case, uh, a risk from the supply chain might actually mean that you need to look um, downstream to the customer to say, what risks are you uh, potentially um, looking at for your contracting purposes and what what requirements are you putting on me and how do I need to treat those risks upstream in my supply chain in terms of gathering information or, in the case of the department, suspension and eligibility fees, doing a background check on those suppliers that I'm engaging with. So, Jared, it really sounds like the concepts and protocols that uh, we talked about in some prior webinars around supply chain risk management lend themselves to not only this type of analysis for both FARs and DFARs, but really the entire workflow process, which allow you to review and collect data to support uh, any obligation that you would have under FARs or DFARs, whether as a direct contractor to the federal government or as a Tier 2 subcontractor to a prime contractor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is really just part and parcel to the to the overall um, supply chain risk review process that you and I have been talking about over the last several months, and that's why it's so great to be able to just add in this one element because, again, this is, FARs and DFARs may be just one small element of a company's requirements to report to a customer or to um, um, demonstrate compliance to a regulation. Um, and then that, that's, again, one small element of what they're doing within their um, supply chain risk review process. So essentially adding that in is reducing that fixed cost of that overall program and, and not separating that out. So if we're doing um, um, a background check already, uh, if we're going through a screening or a watch list screening on third parties, um, this is another way that you can satisfy many of the elements of the FARs and DFARs um, requirements to go through and say, is there any um, pits, if you will, against this um, organization or individual that, that might show that they've been debarred or suspended or have taken part in a, um, you know, an activity that um, um, was not uh, good in the past, um, um, for example, when engaging in fraud um, or any other negative or adverse media that, that might expose them for something that could uh, raise, raise a red flag for one of these um, elements of their regulation. Well, Jared, unfortunately, we're at the end of our time, but I wanted to thank you very much for this incredibly informative podcast. And once again, I would ask if, uh, if anyone wanted to contact you via email uh, to follow up directly with any questions that uh, may have been raised from uh, this broadcast, could you give us your email address? Sure. That's J-A-R-E-D dot C-O-N-N-O-R-F at redflaggroup.com. So that's uh, been visiting with Jared Connors, and we've been talking about FARs and DFARs and how you manage those in your overall supply chain risk management protocol. Jared, thank you very much, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. 
Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance and Ethics Report. I have two calls to action for you. The first is if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, if you would rate this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it as it would help our rankings. The second thing is, if you have any questions on this or any other topic, please email them to me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com as I'm developing my next mailbag episode. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.